Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. This is the sixth message in a short series I'm calling How God Treats His Children. I want to review because I think this series, more than any I've ever done, needs to be kept in perspective as a whole. The first thing I said in this series is that God blesses his children. He wants to see us come to spiritual maturity. So he has blessed us with everything we need to come to Christ-like spiritual maturity. Matter of fact, Paul goes so far as to say, we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. In Colossians, he says, we are complete, meaning we have everything we need to make the trip from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. Now, God has blessed us. The minute you trust Christ for the gift of eternal life, you've got everything you need to get to spiritual maturity. The second thing I said is that God encourages his children. He encourages them to grow to spiritual maturity. He uses means to do that. The major means is the scripture. He also uses other believers in our lives to encourage us to grow and to become more and more like Christ. The third thing I said is that God disciplines us. The Greek word simply means child train. And it includes all kinds of things we, we normally call trouble or difficulties and tribulations in our lives, all of which are designed to help us grow. If you've ever thought about it, if it were all sunshine, nothing would grow. You'd have a desert. You have to have a little rain for the crops to grow. And likewise, in life, if it were all sunshine, we wouldn't grow. So he allows difficulties to come into our lives so that we will learn to depend on him instead of ourselves and again to grow to Christ-like spiritual maturity. Now, in the middle of that discussion, I threw in another message entitled, God Gets Angry. Uh, Every parent has experienced that. You have children and you tell them what to do and they don't do it and... Well, God is a father, and as a father, he gets angry. And in that sense, he disciplines us. Now, I should add, and this is very important, the Bible is very clear that he does not discipline us out of anger. He disciplines us out of law. Nevertheless, anger sometimes motivates the discipline, which is done because he loves us. Then the fifth thing I said was this. God rewards his faithful children. That's very important. Probably the most important thing I say in this series. So let me repeat it. God 
rewards his faithful children. Now, that is a huge subject in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it's one of the major themes of the New Testament, particularly the ministry of Christ. And yet, it doesn't get expounded near as much as it should. So, I introduced that subject in the last of this series I delivered, and I'm going to pick it up again and develop it some more. And after this, I'm going to develop it some more. And after that, I'm going to develop it some more. So you know the basic point I'm going to make for the next several messages. It is God rewards his faithful children. What I want to do today is this. I want to look at the word reward. It appears throughout the scripture, the New Testament, and yet the Bible talks about reward and sometimes does not use the word. So what we're going to do is hopscotch through the Bible this morning, the New Testament, and we're going to look at passages where it, the word is used, and the second thing I'm going to do is look at some passages where it's not used to answer some of the questions concerning reward. Uh, why does God reward some? Uh, what is the reward like? Now, we're not going to exhaust that subject today. Next time, I'm going to talk about crowns. There are other subjects related to rewards that I'm not going to touch on today. But the critical issue that you must know about is that at the judgment seat of Christ, which I spoke about last time, rewards are handed out. What's that like? So I thought it would be helpful to just start with the word. What does the word mean, and what's that about? So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 6. And while you're turning, let me just point out that the word reward means reward, but... It also, in the New Testament, means wages. When you see the word reward in the New Testament, it is the translation of a Greek word that means wages, rewards. One author says, it is the payment of a job and the honor for a job well done. So we call it rewards, but it's payment. It's payment. And if you want to add a little to that, honor for a job that you do. Another author said, Christ did not shy away from calling rewards repayments. And words that are used to describe the fact that it is a repayment. So, the idea behind a reward is that you work, and as a result you get paid. It's a simple concept. Now, the word reward is used of wages, not rewards, just plain of wages in many places in the New Testament, and especially in Matthew 20, verse 8, Luke 10, verse 7, John 4, verse 36, Acts 1, 18, Romans 4, 4, and I could go on and on and on. It just appears in all those passages of just getting paid for a job. That's all it means. But what I want us to look at is how it's used pertaining to the rewards that we receive from the Lord, the payment we receive from Him. 
And the first passage I want to look at is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. They have their reward. Drop down to verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, he's clearly talking about the reward that we get from God the Father, because he says at the end of verse 1, if you do this, you don't get a reward from God the Father, you get it from people. And he's simply saying this, if you do spiritual things like giving or like praying publicly, and you're doing it to be seen, he said, then you got your reward. That is your reward. That's the reason you did it. You got it. That's your reward. But don't expect that even though you're giving or praying, that you're going to get a reward from God the Father because you are not. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 3, a passage I mentioned briefly last time, where Paul is talking to bondservants, actually slaves. And he says to them that whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. That passage has always struck me because they had no choice. They were slaves. They had to, or they could have suffered severe consequences. And yet Paul says in that passage that if you do it as unto the Lord, then from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, is the phrase he uses. So, no matter what you do, this passage talks about spiritual things or religious things like giving or praying. But Colossians 3 is talking about your ordinary work. If you do everything you do as unto the Lord, then you get a reward from the Lord. And if you're doing it for some other reason, like, well, I want to be seen of others as spiritual or religious, or you're just doing it to please yourself, then you get your reward here and not there. So the first point I want to make is that he uses the word reward of not doing it right. Now, while you're in the book of Matthew, turn to chapter 10 for a second. Matthew chapter 10, and look at verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Fascinating. Uh, When I first was introduced to this subject, I thought of great preachers. And man, wouldn't you like to have their reward? 
Well, you can. If you receive a prophet, I take it that means he's traveling and you put him up, you support him, then you get his reward. You don't have to be a prophet to get a prophet's reward. That's good news. And you could do something very insignificant to most people. Give somebody a cup of water. And you get, if you do it in the name of a disciple, you get a prophet's reward. There is somebody in this congregation, and I won't give you his name because I want him to get a reward from the Lord, not you, who supplies me with water. Now, I don't normally drink it in the middle of a sermon, but recently I got a cough, and if there had not been water up here, I wouldn't have been able to preach that day. So whoever gave me this little bottle of water gets a reward. Now, somebody's already doing that, so I don't need all the water here, okay? But that's the point. Give a bottle of water in the name of a disciple, and you get a reward for that. Wow. All right. How are we doing? Is this interesting? You look forward to the rewards? All right. What are they? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Meantime, turn to Luke chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and look at verse 35. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High God, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. This is a fascinating verse. Um, Love your enemies. Got that? Um, And then he says, uh, do good. Just go do something good for somebody. And keep in mind, we're doing this as under the Lord, not to be seen to people. And lend money. If somebody needs some money, loan it to them, and you get the reward if you're not hoping to get something in return. Now, if you're loaning money and you're going to get the interest, you get your reward, the interest. But if you don't anticipate getting anything in return, the Lord will see to it that you get your reward will be great. Now, this really intrigues me. Would you rather have the interest the loan pays or the Lord pays? Ooh, that's got some possibilities. All right, look at the verse. And then you will be the sons of the Most High. Now be careful. Does that mean you have to do these things to become a child of God? No, 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 no. You become a child of God by faith. But as many as receive him, to them gave you the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe in his name, John 1, 12. Well, then what does it mean when it says if you do these things you will be the sons of God. And the answer is, look at the latter part of the verse. For, I'm going to explain to you, he who does these things is kind, and that's like the Father who is kind even to unthankful and evil people. He lets it rain on the just and the unjust. So when he says you will be the sons of the Most High, he's simply meaning when you do these kinds of things, these acts of love and kindness, 
you're being like the Father. It's like the Father that is critical, which I think the latter part of that verse clearly spells out. So, you will have great reward if you do those things. Well, that's interesting. I mean, if you were going to invest in the stock market and you knew that one stock was going to give you a return and the other was going to give you a great return, which one would you invest in? That's a no-brainer, isn't it? Well, he gave you the list. There's another list in Matthew chapter 5 where it says if you're persecuted, great is your reward. So you could make a little list of the great things and... Um, one of them is simply going good, do, just go do good things to people. Love your enemy. Do good things. And then great is your reward. All right. Turn to the most well-known passage on this subject in all of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But you start at verse 14. I'm going to start at verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So you do what God has told you to do, and you will be rewarded based on your labor, based on your work. Now look at verse 14. Uh, well, back up. Let's start at verse 11. There's no other foundation that one can lay that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test every man's work of what sort it is. So all of your works are going to be turned into either precious metal or things that burn. And they're going to throw them in the fire, and those things made out of gold, silver, and precious stones are going to survive. And those things which are survived, you are going to be rewarded for it. So it says, verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures the fire, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss of reward, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Please, please note. This is a test of your works, and if all your works go up in smoke, you still enter the kingdom. Because salvation, the forgiveness of sin, is a gift. Reward is payment for work. So if you don't work, you don't get reward, but you still get to go to heaven because that's a free gift based on the fact that Christ died for your sin. That good stuff? All right. Didn't know you could produce gold, silver, and precious stones, did you? Not here, but there, which is much more important. Turn to chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul, talking about himself, says in verse 17, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. Now, in the context, he's talking about preaching the gospel. And he said, look, I've been given a stewardship. I'm, I'm a trustee. I'm supposed to do this. And if I do it willingly, I get a reward. So there's another thing you can add to the list that you could get a reward for, namely preaching the gospel. 
Now, I can go on and on and on. Um, there are verses in Revelation that talk about the fact even the book of Revelation closes with, I come quickly and my reward is with me. That's the close of the whole uh, New Testament. But let me pause. I think we've looked at enough. I could go on, but I'm not. And let me make an observation or two. Just in the passages we've looked at, I take it that motive is critical. Matter of fact, I'd go so far as saying motive is the issue. If the motivation is to be seen of others, the reward is being seen of others. No reward will be given to you by God the Father. Where doing it heartily is unto the Lord, receives a reward from the Lord. That's got Colossians 3 passage. Loving others who will love, not love you back gets a reward. But uh, loving your enemies, doing good, lending without getting anything of return will get a reward. So I take it these are all motivations. Why are you doing these things? And if you're doing them as unto the Lord, for the Lord, then you get a reward. And if you're doing it for any other reason, you don't. So Paul says, if I do it willingly, now I've got to do it, it's a command. I've been given the stewardship, but if I do it willingly, then I get a reward. The other thing that I would say is that assuming the motive is right, then those who work for the Lord will be rewarded according to their labor. And that's the 1 Corinthians 3 passage. That is, you'll be rewarded according to your labor. It says that very clearly in verse 8. So even a small service, such as giving a cup of water, will be rewarded. And a great reward is given to those who do things like undergo persecution for Christ's sake. Got it? How's all that? There's more. But I want to I look at one other passage uh, that mentions the word reward. I want you to turn to the little book of 2 John. It's right at the end of the New Testament, uh, before Revelation. I want you to look at 2 John. This is a really interesting verse. Verse 8 says, Look to yourselves that you do not lose those things we worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Now, on the subject of reward, this is a troubling verse. 2 John, verse 8. Does that mean you could lose your reward? I mean, could you work and then lose it? And that's not, it sounds like that's what it's saying. But if you look at the verse carefully, it's very obvious that is not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying that you will not get a full reward. What's even more fascinating than that is in the context, he's talking about being deceived by false teachers. And if you are deceived, then you will not receive a full reward. But he says in verse 8, we work for these things. So here is the point of this verse. New Testament's very clear about this. We are working toward spiritual maturity. Those of us who know the Lord and those of us who are, say, teaching the Scripture. We 
are working so that you may be spiritually mature. If you don't make it, then we, not just you, we lose the full reward because we get reward on production. The reward is based on work and production. So if you don't make it, we don't get a reward. So it is very important to me that you reach spiritual maturity. Got it? Got it. Uh, the Bible is full of this. Uh, if you want some passages, you can look at the end of the book of Colossians chapter 1, uh, Galatians 4.19, where Paul says this is what he's doing. He's, in Galatians passage, he says that Christ be formed in you. So I get rewarded if you get the spiritual maturity, and I can lose out if you don't. That's what it's saying. And you lose out too. So it behooves all of us to work towards spiritual maturity so we can get a full reward. It's based on production. I heard a story recently about a cab driver and preacher who died about the same time and showed up at the gate and they were handing out rewards and the poor preacher didn't get much of a reward, and the cab driver got this huge reward. And the preacher objected, said, I don't get it. I, I, I served you faithfully for years and years and years, and he drove a cab, and he gets the reward, and I don't. And Peter, according to this little story I heard, said, well, you see, Pastor, when you preached, everybody fell asleep. And when he drove a cab, everybody prayed. <laughs> So it's based on reward. It's based on production, work. So we need to work. Now, I've just looked at the passages where the word's mentioned. I want to do a second thing. I want to talk about passages where the word is not mentioned, but obviously it's talking about rewards. So I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians and this time, look at chapter 4. And I want to, in this part of the message, talk about what we get. Uh, I've talked about what you do to get these things, and I've listed all kinds of things. But what are the rewards? What do I get? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and look at verse 4. And I turn to 2 Corinthians, so let me go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, now look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required of a steward that one be found faithful. But for me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. So we're clearly talking about judgment. Verse 4. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Lord. And where does he judge us? Judgment seat of Christ. Verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time. He spelled that out in Romans. Until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Uh-oh, ouch! I talked about that last time and it scared people, including me. And reveal the counsels of the heart. Oh, it gets worse. Then, each one's praise will come from God. 
Here's what you get if you do it to the Lord. The first thing you get is praise. Now, Jesus talked about this, and he said something about, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. He got praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So he, how would you like to hear the Lord praise you? Now, what's going on in this passage is they're all criticizing Paul. They're shredding him. And he says, it's a little thing to me that you judge me. I'm going to be judged by the Lord, and when he judges me, I'm going to be praised. Isn't that cute? One author said, and I quote, At the judgment seat of Christ, the false accusations leveled against you will be brought to light. Cruelty, gossip, misunderstanding will be cleared up. The judgment will be so detailed as it has to be to satisfy justice. All he said, she said, arguments will cease. Here the specifics are finally revealed. Nothing but facts. Nothing but truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. You will need vindication. You will have it. You need to be shown that you were in error. You will have that too. Or another pastor writing on this passage said, sometimes I get really frustrated from some church people. I put in 50 to 60 hours a week and all I ever earned me is more griping and criticism. When one accepts leadership responsibility in the ministry as in, the, as in business or profession, criticism and unfair accusation goes with the territory. Even in hard times, when difficult decisions have to be made, there are those who are quick to judge our wisdom and even our motives. During these times, one major biblical truth that provides reassurance and encouragement is the biblical teaching that Jesus Christ will someday set straight the record at the judgment seat of Christ. Your beloved Lord publicly set the record straight. All the false accusations, lies, and unfair criticisms that you receive in life are exposed for what they are. Full vindication at last. And then he adds that at the judgment seat of Christ, if we need vindication, we have it. If we deserve condemnation, we receive it. You ever been criticized unfairly? Starting at what age? Let me guess, five. And it didn't stop ever since. Have you ever been judged and you had no defense? Are you in a position where you couldn't answer back? Well, let me give you some good news. At the judgment seat of Christ, everything is going to be put on the table and you will be praised. So that's the reward, praise. There's more. Go to Matthew chapter 25. This is the verse I referred to a moment ago, but I want you to look at it. Matthew chapter 25. And look at verse 21. 
25:21. And the Lord said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord." All right. I'm going to have praise and I'm going to have joy. The joy of the Lord. Oh, now, wait a minute. I mean, come on. Uh, isn't everybody going to have joy when they get to heaven? Well, I'm going to have more to say about that later, but the basic answer is yes. Yeah. Well, then what's the big deal if all of us have joy? Well, he's talking to those who are good and faithful. And they're going to have the joy of the Lord. Is it possible that some are going to have more joy than others? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Just think about it. So I think all of us will experience some level of joy, but I think when you grow, you're going to have a greater capacity for joy. So let's suppose that um, you went through high school, and you worked, and you studied, and they had a classmate who worked a lot harder and consequently got greater grades. And sometimes you sloughed off. And so, you know, you didn't get straight A's, but you got a few B's sprinkled with a few C's, and maybe there was that course you got a D in. Now, when you graduate, will you have joy? Oh, absolutely. Relief. <laughs> but what about the person? What about the person who worked real hard and got the best grades and the greatest honor. Would that individual have greater joy? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Matter of fact, I read the other day, a fellow trying to illustrate this, talked about winning the Super Bowl. And he said, suppose you were on the team that won the Super Bowl, but you weren't a starter. Would you get a ring? Yeah, you'd get a ring. Would you have joy? Yeah, our team won. But suppose you were the quarterback that threw the winning touchdown. <laughs> Would you have greater joy? Yes. So there is going to be sheer pleasure in the presence of the Lord. If you do well, thy good and faithful servant. So regardless of what other people say, it doesn't matter. What matters is if you do it as unto the Lord. Got it? This is a profound truth, folks. You get this truth, and at the judgment seat, you're going to thank me. And I want you to because I get rewarded for that. <laughs> Am I coming through? Amen. All right. Keep going. Look at Luke 19. Luke 19. And look at verse 17. Luke 19, verse 17. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. 
because you have been faithful in a very little, a cup of water, have authority over ten cities. One of the rewards in the kingdom, which is going to be on this earth after Christ returns, is that you will be put in an administrative position over ten cities. Or five, if you read the passage, or none. So some, listening to me, are going to be street cleaners, and some are going to be mayors, and some are going to be district superintendents over 10 cities. Now, which position would you prefer? Say, well, just so I get in. If that's your attitude, you have totally missed what the New Testament is about. And you will not hear well done because it's motive as well as action. All right. I want you to turn to one more, and then I'm going to wrap all this up. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to look at verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not. Lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. That verse says, I am commanded to lay up treasure in heaven. What's that? I have no clue. But it's in contrast to treasure on earth. So is it some kind of material possession? Probably. Probably. So, here are the rewards. Praise Pleasure, power, possessions. Interesting? Those are the four rewards that are spelled out in the New Testament. Now let me suggest that we are tempted to get the praise of men. We're tempted to live for pleasure. We're tempted to spend our energy to gather possessions. We are tempted to work so that we can have some position of power and authority. Those are the temptations. As a matter of fact, those are the temptations that are clearly spelled out in all of the Scripture. For example, Eve was tempted by pleasure. She saw that it was good for food. She was tempted by possessions. She saw that it was pleasant to the eye. It was something I saw, a possession I wanted. And she was tempted by power. She saw that it would make her wise. Satan tempted Jesus with pleasure. Make these stones be turned into bread. Power, throw yourself down and the angels will deliver you. And possessions, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Isn't that interesting? 
The same thing Satan used with Eve in the Garden of Eden, he used with Jesus to tempt him. And it comes down to, I, Satan said, will give you pleasure. I will give you possessions. I will give you a position of power. And in the little book of 1 John, this gets applied to all of us. It says, John warned against the lust of the flesh. That's pleasure. The lust of the eye. That's possessions again. And the pride of life, some position, some power. Wow. As a matter of fact, the Mosaic law says kings should not multiply to themselves wives, pleasure, silver and gold, possessions, or horses, power. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. Is this interesting? All right, here's what I'm telling you today. Real short, sweet, and simple. Faithful believers will be rewarded with praise, pleasure, possessions, and power. Does that interest you? I have talked to people who say, uh, that object to this. They say things like, well, that's selfish. I mean, then you're working just so you can get a reward. Well, let me just tell you that being motivated by the hope of reward is not selfish, but it is self-interest. And Jesus said you should do it. Whatever it is, Jesus commanded to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. In the final analysis, it's not selfishness, it's a command. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And the other objection I get is, well, just so I get in. If I just get in, I'll be happy. That is not a biblical attitude. The Bible commands us to lay up treasure in heaven. All the way from Dallas. <laughs> I tell you, I think a lot of Christians are barking up the wrong tree. They're giving their lives to please some other person and get their approval and praise. They're spending all of their energy to get a bigger house, a better car, possessions. Now, I'm not, that's not necessarily wrong unless it replaces the motivation to do it unto the Lord. That is what is critical. I've concentrated on the New Testament. But let me close by talking about the fact that people in the Old Testament were motivated by this very thing. If you say, I just want to get in, then you're not in the tradition of Abraham, David, Paul, or a thousand other saints who've grappled with what the New Testament is talking about. So let me close by just giving you some illustrations of people who got it. For example... Abraham. 
Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the day which has, uh, for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham gave it all up. He left his hometown, Ur, and he traveled to a land. He had no idea where he was going, and when he got there, he didn't understand what was going on. But why did he do all that? To gain eternal life? No. To gain heaven? No. The text clearly says he waited for the city whose foundations and whose builder and maker is God. He had his eye on the eternal reward. That's Abraham. Moses, Hebrews 11 says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of heaven, for he looked to the reward. Hebrews 11, verse 26. Moses went through all that he did because he looked for the reward. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He said, I exercise self-control over my body. I discipline my body. Because I don't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and be disqualified for receiving a full reward. Now, if it's good enough for Abraham and Moses and Paul, it ought to be good enough for us. One more. One of the great preachers in American history is a fellow named Jonathan Edwards. He was one of the preachers that sparked the Great Awakening, colonial days. He eventually became the president of Yale University. Here's what he said. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself, he's writing down his goals. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemency, yet violent, yea, violence, I am capable of and can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Translated, I'm going to give every fiber of my being to serving the Lord so that I can enjoy the pleasure when I stand before the Lord. And in that day you will say, it was worth it all. Father, thank you for giving us a glimpse of how you treat your children here, 
and at the judgment seat. My prayer is the Spirit of God will so impress this upon our minds and hearts that it would motivate us to do those little things. I give a cup of water, do something good, to be kind, so that we may have a great reward. In Jesus' name, amen.